Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to come together tonight and study your word. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate us to your word, that you would teach us uh, as we study it. And then we apply it to our lives, especially in this area called faith. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're um, moving on to our next um, item in surviving perilous times. And like we have mentioned, there's nine items that Paul said that helped him get through perilous times. And he's passing this on to Timothy and saying... You do the same if you follow these certain deals. And now we're moving. We did purpose uh, last week, and now we're moving to faith. And uh, I, I, I might spend the, probably the, the, the last classes this year on that issue. And then in the fall, hit long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, and afflictions. Uh, and we'll tackle that and finish in the fall. But it's taken this long to get to faith. And faith needs to, I need to spend a lot, little bit more time on that because it's a serious issue. Um, it's actually the foundation of everything that you do as a Christian, honestly. And uh, you have to know how it works to, to be able to do things correctly in God's world. Um, what you'll see with the issue of faith in, in uh, dealing with persecution, dealing with perilous times, dealing with trials, tribulations, anything that comes your way, um, if you do not operate in faith, you won't operate in reality to those things. That are hitting you. So, say you have a trial that's hitting you right now, uh, or you have trials that are coming our way, as we know, digital currency, uh, uh, the World Health Organization making decisions for our, our bodies, and all kinds of weird stuff coming your way. Well, if you think you're going to take those things on without faith, then it will immediately put you out of reality and you won't be dealing with it correctly. And so what you'll see tonight as I define faith is that faith uh, keeps you in reality, okay? It keeps you in reality. God created reality. He spoke reality, reality into existence by language, and he used that language to create things, okay? Not that you and I can create anything. It's that once he created this reality, the the, really, the only way to operate in it is according to faith, because there's an unseen reality that goes along with the physical reality, and those two are enmeshed together. And so, in this world, if you don't operate it uh, by that, by faith in what he says reality is, then uh, you start losing a screw loose. You get a screw loose, man. You start going like goofy, and you start acting insane to the point that, you know, tonight when we look at the Prophecy Update tonight, you're going to see things, you know, uh, from Target and the Dodgers and any all these corporations going full Monty on full-blown unreality. And, um, and I, you can see why things are happening in our world and why it's happening to believers. It puts you out of reality. Okay, so now... Since that being said, so let's unpack the definition of faith, and at least in the writer of Hebrews' mind when he talks about it. And uh, there's other aspects to faith, obviously, the expression of faith and 
you know, in works, the expression of faith in service, and those are different aspects of faith. But let's start with this aspect and what it's based on, okay? And it's, it's, it's important you have this definition as a working definition to understanding reality. So Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance. So when he uses the word substance, he's using the word hupostasis, hupostasis. Now, in the word itself, hupostasis, is two words combined. Uh, the prefix is hupa, and then the word stasis, okay, is, is being prefixed. So anyway, what does stasis mean? Um, so stasis would be the, the concept of a pillar, okay? That, say like a, a Greek column, a pillar type of thing, that would be considered stasis, this is that would be that's what you would define. This is a stasis. And what you do on stasis is you would stack the rest of whatever you're building on it. That you would have uh, you know, other columns, uh, marble stones, or whatever kind of configuration you were building, you would stack it on the stasis. Okay? So it would be like a, a small pillar that you start with. And then when you use the word in, in the Greek, Hupa, um, hupa means under, and so that's the prefix. You're under the stasis. So the under the stasis, then, so you have this set on 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 the on the on this platform here, but this would be the hupa, okay? And the hupa is what we consider the foundation of the stasis. And so the two words combined is the foundation of the stasis. And the stasis is in which everything is built upon. Okay? So obviously right there in the word itself, I think you can see what God is trying to say about faith is the substance. Faith is the stasis and chupa in which it, everything rests upon. Does that make sense? Everything is, is resting upon the stasis and the hupa. Which means, like, if I'm building a house, I'm talking about the foundation, and I'm talking about the first level, if I'm building, a, you know, an ancient, an ancient temple or something, the, the, the first cutouts of the uh, columns or whatever you want to call it. That's where Paul's getting the, uh, sorry, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews is getting the idea from. So he's basically saying, look, the first thing you have to understand is the basis of everything is faith, okay? It's where you start from. But he goes, he goes on of the things hoped for, and when you put those together, what he is saying is this, that the understanding, the, the true reality is evidenced by faith. It's more, and th that faith is not just simply faith in, like, uh, Unreality, it's, it's something that's true. It's something that God said. Now he's, now, he's not including God in this, but it's assumed, okay, in the definition that your faith has to have an object, okay? And obviously, he's, he's, he's assuming the object is God. So whatever God has said, his promises, what he defines as reality, what your current condition is, as a human being, where your past is, where your present, where your future is, everything that he has said 
is going to be supported by your stasis, by your, your hupa stasis. That's what supports everything he says. If you do not have this to support everything he says, then you don't believe in reality. Because here is the reality of what he says. This is reality. There are two, there are two uh, kinds of humans, male and female. Okay? This is the reality. And he says it in his word. And then you have to believe that to be in reality. If you do not believe that there are two kinds of human beings, male and female, that moves you out of reality and you have no stasis, nor do you have any chupa to support what you believe. You are now in the realm of insanity. Okay? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to be very technical so you understand what the word is trying to say is, God is defining reality right here. He's the author and finisher. He knows he's the creator. He knows what reality is. And he says, you must trust me on this. This is how reality is. The way I believe that reality is my mystasis and the hoopah. Okay? So, if I decide there's 52 genders, I don't have that anymore. I'm just stating this, 52 genders. But I have no foundation to say that on. I don't have any evidence to say that on. I don't have any authority to say that on. You can believe all you want, but unlike this, it has, well, let me see, unlike that, it's baseless. It's based on the person's feelings or experiences in life. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is when we have this stasis on the body of truth that God has given out, the basis of that is it's coming from our creator who has the authority to tell us how reality is because he's the creator of reality. And therefore, this is where authority comes from. Okay, Authority comes from this realm, so we believe in that authority and we submit to that authority and what, it, what that authority says is reality. So as you can see, let's move to the culture. The culture, their faith is faith in themselves, faith in, faith in whatever uh, experience or emotions they feel, so it's baseless. But because it's not based on this reality, it puts them in insanity instantaneously. And the more you believe it in that, that unreality, the more insane you become. So does that explain why a lot of the people in our world appear to you as insane? Of course. It, uh, yeah, and it's, it's not just simply the sexual arena. It's the violence thing. People are becoming more violent. I mean, for goodness sakes, I mean, um, we're having all kinds. of we got, we got a new building out there, and we're having all kinds of problems with theft out there. All kinds of problems already. And we're going to have to have like 24-7 security out there. And here we are with a brand new building, and the first thing is we got some mugshot of some idiot stealing things uh, on our property. And I'm not going to tell you what the police said, but they wouldn't do anything about it. It's like, all right, so then I, I have to like go into a third world country mentality and have my own, my own armed guards 
on my own property, apparently, now, because they can't do anything about it, even though we have his mugshot and we know his name. They won't do anything about it. That's what I was told. Thank you. So what does that mean? We have to have our own security. Okay? But so you look at the violence that's happening in the world, and why is that violence? Because God says, this, this is how you should operate. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not murder, right? There's the reality right there. But they're not operating in that reality. They're operating in their own reality. So stealing is appropriate for them. Murdering is appropriate for them, and it's okay. Okay, so that, that makes the person that actually stole from us or steals from you partly insane, okay, because they're fu- not functioning on reality anymore. You can't have a society, I'm telling you, that doesn't function on reality. If you don't want to uh, obey this reality and its parameters, your society will go down the tubes because your society now has no basis for what it does. There's no truth. There's no evidence, okay? So it's the, what it's trying to say is it's the true reality of life, okay, rather than just mere appearance. So here's what he, so in other words, faith gives us a present and certain grasp on reality is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say. So the more that you know what God has said about the reality of things, the more sane and in reality you are in. Okay? This is why people ask me all kinds of questions. Why, why do you think Satan thinks he can win against God? Because he's out of reality and he thinks he can win because he's insane. That's why. I mean, that's, that's what an insane person does. An insane person, you know, thinks they, they can, are Superman. And he's not in reality anymore. So, in our own personal lives, one of the issues of why we sin is because when we do sin, in our own minds, we're out of reality, okay? We believe that the unreality of sinning will benefit us, benefit us somehow. Now, again, we're out of reality when we think this way. And we're out of reality thinking that it will, it will do whatever it does to us. But at the end of the day, it is an insane concept to think to go outside of the boundaries of God. Now, I, I'm not talking about like you slip up or we slip up or we make mistakes. Or I'm talking about a, a conscious decision to go out of reality. And, and how do you make a conscious decision to go out of reality? Well, it's not because you're saying, I want to go insane. It's you saying, I'm going to do my own thing apart from God's will, apart from his agenda, apart from his morality, apart from his values, and just do it because I think it'll bring me some type of pleasure or relief or whatever it might be. So when you make that decision, you are making a decision to go insane because you're not functioning in reality. And that's what we call crazy people when they don't function in reality. So That's what you have to start realizing about yourself. Sin is wickedness. There's no doubt about that. Sin is rebellion. No doubt about that. But an aspect of what you're seeing from faith, the lack of faith and the opposite of it, is insanity. I'm going insane. And the more you do it, the more insane you become. This is why sin is so difficult to get out of once it becomes entrenched. 
and let alone when the demonic forces suppress you in it, but your own mind is suppressing you in it because you're not thinking straight. And I have met plenty of Christians in counseling that come to see me and are not thinking straight. They have what we call temporary insanity because they're seeing a situation that's not true. It's, it's, it's not what they seem to think it is, but they're not seeing it any other way. And that's when you can tell someone's out of reality. They don't see it. They don't see it in themselves. They don't see it among others or whatever that might be. So when you start realizing what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, it's, it's just more than, it's more than, well, I just don't believe God. It's, I choose to go insane. Of things hoped for, he says. What do, what do you mean by things hoped for? Well, obviously, it tells you about reality now, right? What God tells you about reality now, but God also tells you about the future. He tells you about future judgment. He tells you about future blessing, future rewards, future kingdom, all these things. So faith typically is, is tied to future, okay? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying, of things hoped for. That's a future outlook, Okay, and so we not only have faith in him saying, okay, two genders, but where does this all go? You know, there's going to be a righteous kingdom, Jesus will rule and reign, those types of things. You're going to be glorified, have a resurrected body, and those kinds of things. So what faith does is not only give you the grasp of reality now, but it gives you the ability to grasp the future reality and act as if it's already happening, so to speak. What do you mean? A lot of the future promises are actually put in the aorist tense, past tense. And God wants you to look at it as when he says, I will do this, it's actually sometimes it's in the past tense, like I did this and yet it's still future. Well, why does he talk like that? Why does God talk in a future sense, but it's in, in, in past as if he's already done it before, already? Well, he's outside of time. Yes, true. But why, why would, what would that do for you and I, him saying, it's already a done deal, or it's already happened. You're seated in the heavenlies, even though I'm, I'm physically here. To confuse you? Well, you have the hope. But, I, but I'm telling you about a future reality that you're going to sit in the heavenlies, but you're supposed to think, but God is saying, I've already done it, even though you're not there. It's already done. It's a done deal. You're seated in the heavenlies, but I'm not yet. So what, am I, what is that supposed to do for me now? Well, it encourages me. It gives me hope. Yeah. What does that do to my present reality of how I act? Uh, yeah, so the position I have in the future, I am to act at it on it right now. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm in the future. I'm a king, or you're a queen if you're a female, and you 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 uh, are promised to be a ruler and reigner with Christ and stuff. So the concept is like those kinds of concepts are like a done deal. The church will rule and reign, even though individuals won't. Um, the church in general will rule and reign with the Messiah. Okay. Therefore, 
the believer is supposed to act on that position as if it's already happening. So you're to act according to your future position. So the reality is, um, if you really believe that, then it will factor into your life now. So what you start realizing is um, people's lack of faith in the future causes them to act accordingly. So if you really don't, let's, just, let's let me use a one promise. The promise is you get your life back 100-fold. That's the promise. So everything that was taken away from you in this life, you get back 100 times. He said this to the apostles. I showed you, I think, on Sunday, the passage. Okay, so, so think about this. You get everything back 100-fold in the next life. So what would that do to me now as far as when people are taking things from me now? It's not, it's, it's not going to bother me that much. Well, that's all right. They can take the, it's, you can take that from me. I get it back in the end. So you're not really taking from me. You can steal from me all you want, but at the end, I get it all back. Um, you can take my life, but in the end, I get my life back because he resurrects me. You, you, you see how that follows? And so the, the hope of the, the future faith helps you deal with the current reality. And I'm going to tell you what, the current reality is going to take from you. I mean, if it's not going to take from you financially, it's going to take from your health. I can tell you that. Your health will be taking. Um, and, and so, but what is, what is the future reward? Glorification, a new body. So... If I know I get all the things back, I'm willing to lose things in this life. I'm willing to let it go. I don't have to fight for it. I don't have to struggle for it. I don't have to stress about it or have all this anxiety because, well, if you want my cloak, I'll give you my cloak as well. That kind of mentality. So people who are afraid to lose things in this life don't have faith in the future. And that's why they, they, they play the games that they play. They're afraid to lose, okay? So they don't trust anybody, uh, those kinds of things. They, they take extreme measures. Uh, they're suspicious of people, whatever it might be. And I get it, sometimes it's rightfully needed, but um, it affects them. They, they turn into hoarders. A big problem with a mental illness of hoarder, hoarding is they're afraid to lose things. You ever been around a hoarder? They save everything. But why? Because hoarding for them brings them security. Because they, 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 they don't want to lose something. They want to take it all with them. But yes, it's a mental illness, but the, 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 the real issue then becomes the reason the hoarder started getting that way. By the time they finish, it's a, it's a mental illness, no doubt about that. But what started them on the path before they became mentally ill? It started with wrong thinking about the future. They didn't believe what God said to them about the future. Maybe they were ignorant of it, but ignorance is not an excuse. God has explained in his Bible what's coming in the future. So if you refuse to acknowledge that or even are ignorant of that, then the courting mentality of keeping everything, saving everything, because this is all we get, this is all we're going to have, and so I can't lose anything, that starts the mentality down the road. 
And then by the time you get there, like I said, what happens to the hoarder? They're mentally insane. Ah, yes, but you took a step here to go out of reality back here. So when you took that step, you took one step towards mental, mental illness, one more step, one more step, one more step, till you're finally, you're too far gone. You're mentally ill. That's how even like a, a situation of hoarding works. It started with a disbelief for what God said would, he would give you in the future. So of things hoped for, our future, okay? So, and then he goes into this word, the evidence, the evidence. Um, this is actually a legal term, elegas, elegas, um, and it means trial tested or like a cross-examining that happens, okay? And, and really, why, why, why is the writer of Hebrews using a, a legal term of evidence? Well, um, that the evidence went to court, so to speak, was cross-examined, and the cross-examination and the evidence in the court, all that pointed to what it really is, okay? And that's the evidence of what reality really is and of things not seen. So he adds and it says, look, some of those things that God says are invisible. You can't see them, okay? When he says, um, you know, that you're going to be resurrected, well, you really can't see that. You have to hope for that. Yeah, you look at, your, at, at the Messiah and you see his resurrection and that points you forward. But other things, uh, rewards you can't see, you know. Uh, you, you can't see God, We'll see Christ, obviously, but you can't see God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, even though he's at work. Even though the Holy Spirit works in you and lives in you, you don't see the Holy Spirit in you. You can't look inside. It's invisible. He's invisible. And so most of the reality that we actually live in is invisible. Okay? It's a physical world. There's no doubt about it. But it's enmeshed in with the, the spiritual. And in the spiritual realm, there are physical principles, sorry, spiritual principles that you have to obey. And that's why in this world that, he, that reality is created, it's a mixture of both physical and spiritual realities. When he says that sin will kill you, the wages of sin is death, even though you might go out and sin, you, might see, you may not see the instantaneous death principle start taking an effect. But do it long enough and you will. So a lot of it has to be taken on faith because that's what gets people in trouble. They, they, they do something out of that reality and they don't see any consequence immediately. And, and so they just keep doing it and doing it and think they're getting away with it. And before you know it, the reality then catches up to them. Sin finds them out. So the, the concept of sin, like for instance, when some people sin and there's no consequences to it, that's why they keep doing it, um, they don't realize the concept that sin is chasing you down. In the Old Testament, the word um, that your sin will find you out, it's the concept that once you start that path, your, your consequences kind of lag behind, but they are chasing you. Okay? And so the person just keeps sinning and sinning, and they're chasing you and chasing you and chasing you, and finally, your sin catches up to you. 
Okay, that's the that's the the Hebrews way of understanding. Why don't even start down the path? Because you'll have this thing catch up to you eventually and get you. And that's the concept uh, in, in, in the Old Testament. Well, anyway, the thing's not seen. Faith is evidence in an unseen reality. So you're believing God for a lot of things that you just simply can't see. You have to believe that um, revenge is not appropriate for you. Because he says, vengeance is mine in my reality, not in your reality. My reality is no, you don't get to do vengeance in, in his reality. And you have to believe that or, or whatever. Or, or things like in the Bible, you know, march around Jericho seven times and blow a trumpet and the walls will come tumbling down. What? You know, you're looking at that. I'm just, I, I don't, that's not how we would do a typical military invasion. doesn't seem right right? And so he's saying, in my reality, because of the unseen forces, in my reality, it makes sense, even though you don't understand it. So do it, even though you don't understand. Like I've talked before, ad infinitum, most people don't understand the concept of 1 Corinthians 5. They don't see the spiritual reality of what isolation does to somebody, and therefore they don't practice it. Many churches won't practice it. Pastors won't practice it. Christians won't practice it because they don't see reality, uh, the reality of it and what it does. And like I said, the sin catches up to the person. A lot of these spiritual principles that are invisible, you have to let time take its, take its uh, or have its way. So when you practice 1 Corinthians 5, you're not going to see initial repentance from the individual. It will take a long time. But sure enough, if you do it properly, they will come back. Okay, but that's why most people don't see it because it's too hard for them to see that that actually cutting someone off would actually redeem them. They, they, that like that doesn't make sense. This goes against my thinking, but yet that's what the Bible says. But they, most people won't believe it, so they don't practice it. Well, they just love them back to Jesus, and they're not going to get them back. You have to put boundaries and limitations on people, and you have to trust that in this reality. He says, that's what works. And that's where your faith has to come in. So you have a lot of things like that. So basically, it's faith in the evidence of an unseen reality that God says this is going on around you. Most Christians don't even have the understanding and concept of a demonic world. It's not even taught in the churches. Most churches won't even touch the subject. But yet, how do we explain all these weird phenomenon, supernatural phenomenon, that are going on in the world and going on in our lives without understanding that he says in this reality there's, there's spirit creatures, either demons or fallen angels, that are coming after you and have declared war on you. How, how else would you explain what you see in society other than demonic? So if you don't believe that reality, what, how are you going to attribute that? What are you going to say about those, those people or, or even the, the, the things that are happening? You have nothing to say. You have no, no frame of reference to work from. And so it's like, it just, it's not, if you don't believe in the devil or, uh, and his fallen angels, you're going to get throttled because you're not recognizing the unseen reality of that. So as you can see, this, this is, has huge implications in how you function. So faith, base, faith is based on the reality God says is and the evidence that God presents in that reality that he's right, 
but you can't create it. All you can do is submit to the reality, okay? So the, the word of faith movement did what the, you know, um, the magicians and sorcerers did, try to do is they try to manipulate the physical world by magic. That's what sorcery is. So when you look in the word of faith movement, just as an aside, where they said you know, that you, your faith can create reality like God, well, that was borrowed from magicians, actually, sorcerers. And so we have a sorcery in, in Christianity where people believe in their faith. They have faith in their faith to create reality. And, and that's obviously very wicked. The, the definition says... The evidence is coming from God, and he is the one that created that reality. The only thing you can do is submit. You can't create reality. You can't change reality. That's what paganism does. So when you look at like the transgender movement, and you look at the, uh, the gay movement and the queer movement, whatever you want to call it, the alphabet soup uh, movement, whatever that might be, um, what really is going on there is ancient paganism because they're trying to change reality of who they are, right? But yet God says in that reality, he only made them male and female, right? So they're changing reality, and they're doing it by changing body parts or whatnot, dressing up or whatever. And here's the, here's the reality. The reality is you can do everything you want to change your outside, but the creator is saying in this, in the real reality, is you can't change your DNA. You're a male, you're born either a male or a female, and that's it. Your DNA tells it. And, and, and so, just because you change the outward doesn't change the reality of the inward. So they're going against the reality. Okay. So God gives enough evidence to believe, but not so much that it would eliminate faith. Okay. So we get how, what is the evidence that God gives in order to believe? creation, um, uh, the, the laws written on the hearts of human beings. He gives evidence of providence of his unseen hand working through people's lives. And then he gives history. The Bible is his history. Israel is the, the prime marker of that history. So there's four general revelations that God gives as evidence that he exists. And if you respond to that evidence, and that at least those 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 things that witness to you, the heavens declare the glory, then it will lead you more in, into the body of evidence about the Messiah, salvation, and all that. And you'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is giving you evidence of sin, righteousness, and judgment. What is the evidence? The sin, that you're a sinner. Uh, righteousness, you fail to have righteousness, that Jesus has the righteousness that can be imputed to you. And judgment, if you don't do this, get this righteous from the Messiah, then you're going to be judged like the devil and his angels. It's very simple, but that's what the Holy Spirit is evidencing on everyone's heart. And everyone then is without excuse. Okay, so when you someone refuses to believe or, or doesn't get saved, it's because they don't want to believe the evidence. They don't want to believe uh, everything that God showed them. So faith is not a leap into a dark chasm blindfolded. That's not what faith is. Faith is based on evidence, and the verdict is in. God tells the truth. So at the end of the day, 
this is the problem we're having. Okay, so with that definition, I want to make sure, I know that's a lengthy definition, but that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to all of us. You want to be in reality? Have faith in God. You want to be out of reality? Don't believe God then. And you will slowly go insane out of that reality. Okay, so how do I get more faith? Well, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is what we're talking about with the stasis and the hoopo. The word of God is that reality, right? It defines everything that we need to know for life and faith. That's the body of truth that God has given us, right? So you have this. So really what it is is the, the stasis supports this. That's it, okay? Your faith is is this, and notice your, because it's hupo, it's under the authority. Does that make sense? It's under the authority of the body of reality. So once I believe God, I actually put myself under it. And then life works very well, okay? And I'm saying life without troubles. I'm not saying that. But life starts making sense now. Dots start connecting. The reality changes for you because it starts flowing. So it's like a river that's flowing in one direction, and you're going against it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. Then the minute you say, I believe, you're going with the river now. You're going with how, cre- how reality was created, Right? And as long as you go with the reality, your life will be somewhat smoother. Okay, I'm not saying you're not going to have troubles, but at least flows in the right direction. Okay? Question. Go ahead, Dennis. Uh, Back to what you were talking about, the male and the female, and how God created that. What is it that the LGBTQ... If God made animals, male and female, why can't they see even that? I mean, Noah got one of each, male and female. What is it? They they just straight lost their mind, and and they don't want to agree with, I mean, are they looking for a gay animal so they can can relate to it? Yeah, I know, right? No, actually, um, it, what, what you see there, if you follow Romans 1 and uh, you follow his results of suppressing the truth, okay? So here's, here's what the person initially does, Richard. Here's the body of truth, okay? This is reality. It tells you in here the reality of sexuality, doesn't it? Okay? So the person says, because they're a free will creature, Either I'm going to obey or reject. So they say, I'm rejecting. But they, they can't, what Paul is trying to say in Romans 1, is they, just, they, they can't just say, I reject that and walk away. If you notice what he says in Romans 1 is, I reject that body of reality, and then I'm going to suppress it. I'm going to suppress it down. Okay? Why? Because I, I don't want any more conviction from it. Because 
I reject it, but it's still convicted me, convicted me as far, even I can stray out here. I'm convicted, I'm convicted, I'm convicted. So I got to do this. Enough. And you've suppressed the truth. Okay? So Paul uses the word suppression. Those who suppress the truth, then there's a penalty for this. And what is it? Your mind becomes darkened. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an ancient word, meaning you start going crazy. Everyone who does this with truth starts going insane. Now, we're not talking about full-fledged you know, straitjacket or anything like that. But the minute you press this down and hide it and suppress it, you are on the path. So, Richard, as you watch, what happens is the path then starts... And the first thing Paul says is they'll start worshiping the creation rather than the creator because the creator is invisible. And in that reality, you have to worship an invisible God. So the minute they do this, they start worshiping objects over here, uh, different, different creations of their own imagination of a God. So once they start doing that... Um, then it's like an eruption starts happening and then the darkened heart, the darkened mind starts taking over and they go sexual, okay? Yeah, go ahead, go for it. Then we have up here. Uh, does that Romans 1 principle apply to the angels or just to men? Uh, it appears to be um, uh, humans in, in his references um, because... I think that's the context of one. But um, I'm trying to think what would be different with an angel. Sorry. Yeah, but they did, they, they, they did leave their habitation. That's where I'm dealing with. They did, so it's possible. Because fallen angels in Genesis 6 did cohabitate with women, so they committed sexual sin. Um, and they continue, the incubi and succubi do that today. So I don't know. I, 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 let me chew on that one. I've never been asked if the angels could do that, but they're similar in the fall, I think so. I don't know. Um, obviously, though, Romans 1 is referring to humans in that sense. Um, because it talks about males and females in there. And so, um, so back to, it's a good question. Let me chew on that a little bit, okay? And then back to Richards. So if you watch the progression, you start worshiping the creation. Then we had a, t a question up here. Start worshiping the creation, and then all of a sudden, idolatry happens, and then sexual immorality happens. Yeah, Bill, go for it. So the suppression, they're trying to hide from the truth. Yes. It's what leads them to such anger because when they... Yes. All the left is just... We're standing for what our right? stuff. We're not getting mad and burning things. And, yeah. And then they're accepting like it's, it's peaceful, but it's burning. And that's just their anger is because it's they're trying to that. escape the, the truth. They're angry at, Matt, at God because God says, you're going against my reality. And then the, the evidence that they're going against the reality, as Romans points out, says the due penalty is found in them. Once they start, so let me follow Romans because this is what they even get angrier about. So if you follow Romans, idolatry, sexual immorality, and it doesn't stay at sexual immorality, it goes to homosexuality. 
And then it goes to all kinds of vile sins, just enumerated all through the culture, violence, and then those who promote it as well. Um, if you actually want to see how that happened to America, the idolatry started in America uh, probably in the 19, early 1900s. Uh, after World War One, uh, America becomes uh, sorry. World War Two, um, America becomes very materialistic idolatry. Then you have the sexual revolution in the '60s, in the '70s and '80s. You had the opening of of gay uh, gay life, uh, and that continued on. And that we're now moving into transgenderism, and and people approving of it and pushing it on others. And so you can even see that pattern as you lay it over since, 19, since the World War II. You can watch the pattern in America, what happened. And it's the same pattern. Yeah, Pastor, uh, it's, it's said a lot that God created me this way, and then it's said that... Uh, um, oh, I forgot my main question here. God, God created me this way, and then Jesus approves, and he was transsexual or something. Yeah. And it's coming out on TV or other places. Yeah, and so in order to do this, so if, if, I, can't, if I can't suppress this, then there's other options I can do. I can twist this, okay? I can twist it to say different things, right? And that's what they do. Um, and the concept that, I, that God made me this way is a flat-out lie because God didn't make you that way because your DNA tells you what you're made. Okay, your DNA says everything. DNA, remember, is information. Okay, how did God speak? It's language. He spoke the world into existence by what? Language. So your DNA is your language in which God spoke you into existence. So your DNA, the language, is your record of him creating you. That's how he created you. That same DNA will be used for your glorified body. It's the same concept. It's, it's, a, it's a track record. It's the, it's the evidence of how you were created, right? I knit you together in your mother's womb. Your DNA tells how he knit you together. So at the end of the day, Paul, what they do then is if, if I can't hold it down, then I have to go in there and tinker with it and change meanings to, to, to allow me to do what I'm doing because here's what happens. They can't deal with the godly guilt that's being put on them for being out of the reality. Okay? It's very difficult for a human being to live with that kind of conviction of sin and not freak out. So what the human being has to do is find a way to justify their behavior and get rid of the guilt that they feel. Well, the only way to get rid of it is then if I can't squash it, if I can't tinker with it, then I have to get society's acceptance of it, which has been achieved. The goal has been won. They did get society's achievement, and that's why they sleep at night. That's why they're so bold. Now, back to what Bill said about the anger. Um, it goes back to like Cain. Why did Cain get so mad? Okay, For, number, yeah, number one, he decides, to, I'm going to do my own agenda. God's paradigm is saying what? You bring blood sacrifice to me. A, uh, Cain brings what? Goods, your fruit, fruit of his labor, not blood sacrifice. 
okay? So he decides to do his own thing out of the reality of what God established. So then he, he, he gets mad because his, his offering is rejected to God, from God. So when someone is standing before God saying, I'm a transgender, it is like them offering Cain's sacrifice of, this is, this is my works, okay? This, these are my works and you will accept them, right? That's, that's what in essence it is. So the transgender is saying, these are my works, and God is saying, I reject that. That's not the way you approach me. And therefore, the anger then is the same anger that Cain had in the fact that he's re- his, his offering is rejected. Okay? But then why does he get mad at Abel? Well, there's a spiritual jealousy. Because Abel is functioning in this reality. And therefore, because he functioned this, in this reality, his sacrifice of blood is acceptable. And therefore, he's acceptable. Okay? So he, Cain's mad at his acceptability, acceptability before God and won't do it God's way. So the only thing you can do when you're spiritually jealous and you can't have what they have because you refuse to come that way is to kill them is to become hostile with them and get them, out of, get them away from you. And hence, Bill's right about the, the crazy anger you see in society from the transgender. They're nothing but mafia guys, mobsters. If you watch how they act on the streets and with children and stuff like that, these people are off the chain, man. Histor- uh, not historically, but um, uh, evidentially, as they, they do their parades, as they... They prance around and do their things. They're, they're, they're ven- venomous, very, very hostile. And um, they're the ones that make the death threats. They claim that there's death threats on them. But they're lying. They're the ones who make the death threats. They're the mob. They're the, that's why they're called the LGBT mafia. Now, I'm not saying every person that's gay or lesbian is part of that agenda, but I'm telling you, there's something very wicked at the top that's pushing the agenda that is a mob mentality, much like Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody's pushing the agenda. Somebody's being hostile. Who are the ones making all the threats on, on, on Twitter? And who are the ones making th- threats? Is, is that just coming out of a vacuum? Who's doing that? And you look at it, it's, it's pro-LGBT people. It is. I, I'm not going to lie. I, I can see who's do, who is the one that's always angry. It's them. Why are you angry? Because they're mad at you. Why? Because you come the God's way, and they're jealous of that. They can't have a relationship with God because they won't come his way through the Messiah. So they don't want to do that. So they offer the fruits of Cain, and hence they're, they're, they're angry. Okay. That being the case, then, um, God says, you're going to approach me by faith. That's the only way, and faith in my son, and that's it. And they don't want to have faith. Because they don't have to. They don't want to bend the knee to it. They don't want to come underneath the authority. They want to be their own authority. Okay. Well, the more you're out of his authority, you're going crazy. So, let's go back to faith. Faith then is confidence in God. Obviously, it's not confidence in yourself. It's not confidence in anything. It's confidence in God. And we're talking about the objective content of God's word. We're not talking about how you exercise your faith. This is not James. 
This is, this is Hebrews chapter 11. So we're talking about an, an objectable content, okay, which is the word of God. It's objectable, not subjective. And then basically the exercise of one's faith in relationship to that content is what pleases God. So you act appropriately to the reality and that pleases God. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. But it's not just sub, it's not subjective faith. Understand that. It's not subjective faith. Well, I have faith. That's not that. It's faith in what he says. Okay? There's a big difference, especially in the hyper-charismatic movement, especially in the word of faith movement, where they have faith in faith. It's like, I have a strong faith that this is going to happen. That's insane to think like that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Faith in this content. That's what he's talking about. And then if I act according to this content, he says there's two genders. Uh, sex should be between a man and a woman and to raise a family and things of that nature. I'm operating in that realm, and that's what pleases him because I'm now obeying reality that he created. So it's not just I have a strong faith. It's not that. So guess what? If faith is based on objectable content... What does that imply you know? The content. I have to know this in order to operate in reality properly. Otherwise, I won't. And the better you do this, know this, the better you operate in reality. The less you know of it, the more weirder you are. And everyone knows it. You may not know it. But everyone around you saying, that person's weirdo, man. I know they're saved and everything, but still, wow. So with that being said, just a couple more minutes. I want to take you down this path a little bit. Okay, I got the definition, Brandon. All right, cool. So then we have to understand why we struggle with believing God. Okay? So now we go from definition to where the rubber meets the road. We all are going to struggle at points when he defines this reality. And there's going to be parts of that reality you're like, man, I don't know about that one. I, 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 I don't know. I have a hard time believing in that. And it's not like, it's not like you reject the, the overall reality. It's not, that's not what's happening is that we have pockets of unbelief about that reality. We're not convinced, if that makes sense. We're not convinced on certain things he says. Like, for instance, 1 Corinthians 5. People are not convinced by that. And I know that because I see it evidenced. They just won't do it. Um, I don't know. It could be anything. They don't believe. Okay, so where, all, where does this, all this stuff come from? Well, it comes from the person's past and how they were raised. Believe it or not, you were created by God to trust him. Now, here's the funny thing about what people have studied this, is that we are hardwired for trust. From when we're a baby all the way up till adults. We're hardwired to trust. It's in our biology. It's in our chemistry. It's in our, 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 our brain. 
Every, everything they can study about us physiologically is wired to trust. Now, when you read these, these people that talk about this from the secular world, they say, well, it comes from the Darwinian evolution, which is a lie, but they reason it from, well, that's how survivability happens, is that you have to learn to trust to, in order to survive in the world. Well, they're partly right. They're wrong about evolution, but it's, it's true that in order to survive in this world, you do have to learn to trust because you won't survive if you, don't, if you don't know who to trust and how to trust. If you trust the wrong people, you'll die, right? Okay, so, so even from an evolution standpoint, which is totally wrong, they understand that somehow we're biologically wired to trust. Isn't that weird? But not so much if you understand what the scriptures say. Let me see if I can find the scripture and put, put it on there. I put it somewhere here. Look at Psalm 22, 9. But you, who, uh, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. You made me trust while I was on my mother's breast. Moms, you should know this answer. What is it that why a baby will trust its mother and a mother will trust its baby? Why, why do they get bonded? It's food, yes, but it's food, but there, no, no, there's a toxic, uh, not toxic, sorry, <laughs> not toxic. Some, some moms are toxic, no doubt about that. Yes. There's a chemical that gets released. It's, what is it? Oxytocin. Gets released when the mom is feeding her baby. And the oxytocin naturally causes the baby to trust. It causes the mom to trust. And there's the instant bond because the chemical is released nursing the mom. Look what it says. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. It's the chemical that God put in us to trust our mother when she's nursing us. So you understand that we are hardwired to trust. We're built for trust. God designed us to trust. That totally makes sense. Of course. If he's going to create humans... And we're going to have this love relationship with him and give us free will. There has to be the element of trust, and therefore we're hardwired for it. Not forced to trust. Don't understand. Don't, don't make that mistake. But you're hardwired for it. it. And if you learn how to do it properly, it makes your life a lot, go a lot easier, not only with God, but humans as well. Okay, so let's go back a little bit. Um... So why we initially learn to trust when we're a child and a toddler with our parents, okay? That's where the initial relationship to trust, and that eventually is supposed to be transferred eventually to God, but we're learning to trust our parents. So what then happens? Why is it that most people won't trust God at a later age? Because something happens in that person's life to, to create a disruption in the trust relationship with the parents. It gets disrupted. Okay? 
It gets disrupted from goofy parents that don't know how to bond, parents that refuse to connect, parents that are withdrawn, parents that are checked out, parents that are into drugs, parents that are alcoholics, parents that are not there, parents that are absent upstairs, you name it, okay, whatever. And so initially that bonding, that chemical, all that stuff's working, it's all working, it's all good, and then boom, something starts happening in the life of the child and they're disrupted. And if that disruption is severe enough, they will come out not trusting because those who they were supposed to trust were untrustworthy, right? And so they feel betrayed, they feel rejected, they feel hurt. So all those things start happening, and then they carry it into their teenage years, then they carry it into adulthood, and if there's any, any decide, is someone giving them an option to uh, come to faith in the Messiah or anything like that, they typically re- will reject it because they, they don't trust people, so they're not definitely going to trust God because the devil has made them think that God's untrustworthy already because he didn't help them in the situation that they were in anyway, in their minds, in their minds. And so they become disillusioned, angry, as you pointed out with these, these atheists, like Dawkins and all of them, they're extremely angry. And they grew up in Christian homes. Did you know that? A lot of the atheists grew up in Christian homes. Why? Because their parents were hypocrites and broke that trust. They saw their parents doing one thing and then doing another on the outside. So most atheists come from hypocritical Christians. That's what happened. If you listen to them long enough, and they were hurt by that, they felt betrayed by that, and they got burned. And so they withdraw, they're angry, and they don't, they don't trust God. And so they go around life through being suspicious of other people and fail to take risks with people. And definitely that transfers to God. So when God is saying all of this, they're like, no way, because I can't trust anybody, and I'm definitely not going to trust God. So it affects them. And so if you, you see, okay, like even in your own life, you struggle in areas of believing certain aspects about this reality that's been created. It probably comes from somewhere where your trust was broken in that area. That's what starts happening. And you have to figure out that area where that trust was broken. Yeah, go ahead. So if we've learned not to trust, why do people trust the government so much? I know. And, and Terry, you're making an excellent point. It's, it's this weird, it's a weird paradox. It's weird. Okay, so it's, it's, okay, think about this. I'll give you another paradox. I'll give you another paradox that doesn't make sense, but it does in one sense. Okay, listen. So you have the left that's full Monty anything goes sexually, right? It's just full Monty. Transgenderism, gay, lesbian, whatever. It's just full Monty. Do whatever makes you feel good. But at the same time, the left wants you to sign a letter of consent if you take someone out for coffee so that you, you, you don't rape them or something, or you don't do something that would enforce any romantic feelings or what. So you have to have a signed contract 
before you go out with somebody, and yet over here you can do anything sexually. How, how, why does that exist? Why are these things happening? And it's the same thing as, as Terry's pointing out. How could someone not trust God, who's a benevolent creator, and yet trust Joe Biden? Because here's the fundamental answer. And Bob Dylan said this. You're going to serve somebody. Here's what the thing is. We're idol factories, okay? So deep in our heart, eternity has actually been put in our heart, according to Solomon, okay? So in that fact that eternity has been put in our heart, um, we want something to worship. The correct thing is to worship God, but the incorrect thing is to either worship yourself or someone else. And so... The, the, basically what happens is that's what idolatry comes from, is I want to worship something. Uh, I want to make up a God that lets me do what I want to do. That's what idolatry is about. So what's happening now is statism, like Terry's pointing out. So people are turning the government into an idol because the government now is allowing them to do what they, what they want to do. And so... Really, what we have, we call it statism, is the government is an idol. Now, you think, well, that, that, I can't believe people would do that. Yeah, why? Look at history. You, if you were a Roman citizen, you had to worship the Roman government. You had to pay t- uh, 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 a knee to Caesar. You, bow, you bowed a knee to Caesar and gave a pinch of incense to him. Every year, you had to do that as a Roman citizen. What was that? Worshiping Caesar, worshiping the Roman government. And it's no different than now. So the, 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 the government is their benevolent God that gives them the things they want, and then they stay in obedience to them because the government makes no demands on them. It's just like, it's just like an idol. So you know, Terry's pointing a, a good thing out. It's the paradox that if you're not going to worship God, you will worship something else, and you will serve that other God, and you will make sacrifices to that God. Right? That's what you see about the left. The left is willing to sacrifice... Um, Profit, monetary profit to this transgender God, right? Isn't that amazing that they would give up millions and millions of dollars just to be ESG compliant? Because that's a God. So when you see someone willing to make sacrifices to that God, that's it. That's worship. That's worship. Can't, you can't splice it any other way. Yes, Dr. Benson. We often see patients who fit this, uh, this diagram idea, and one of the main issues we find is there's sexual abuse in the past. Yes, the, the sexual abuse came in, and that kills trust, totally kills trust. And, 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 and it happens, this is the sad part about it, guys, about you know, the, the, the sexual molestation or rape or thing. It happens so young in life to people, you, you just can't imagine that someone would do that to so young of a child, but they do. It's wicked, man, so wicked, it's demonic. But what happens is it damages the kid. And if that kid doesn't get any help, it messes up their adulthood. And, and, and people will say, well, you know, they say, I, I felt like I was born gay or, I, you know, I've always been gay all my life. What happens is usually if you go back enough in their trauma, you will find out that the trauma happens at such a young age, it will make them feel like they were born like that because it happened to them like at two years old 
or uh, you know, one and a half years old it happened to them. And so since one and a half, they've been carrying this trauma with them and it messes them up. And so that's why a lot of them, I mean, really ask somebody that's in the homosexual lifestyle, if you can get a chance to talk to them and dialogue with them, hey, tell me your story. How was it like growing up? And what you'll hear is spirit, uh, sorry, sexual abuse all over the place. It's everywhere. And so like Dr. Mensink is pointing, it's, it's, um, it, it creates a fracture in them. And it, it, it just obliterates them. And again, uh, you know, and, and please understand that when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about the individual, not the agenda. The agenda is what I'm going to talk about next hour. The agenda is pretty wicked. But the person struggling with it, that's typically what's happened. And so the mom and dad will say, well, I, I don't remember that ever happening to you. Well, it, when I get them in counseling, they'll say, well, the, the neighbor across the street did it. That I, you know, they'll say things like, well, my parents let me spend the night at Uncle Joe's, or my parents let me spend the night at the, at the neighbor's house, and then the, the neighbor kid molested me. Because the kid I spent the night with, they'll say things like that, and you're like, oh, okay. So you have all kinds of situations like that. And I'm going to tell you this, sexual abuse is more rampant than you really think. It's way out there, man, big time. The stats on there are very, very high. And it damages people. Okay, I got questions, questions. Where am I at? Brandon, back in the 60s, this is probably before your time. You okay, sorry. I believe there was a Dr. Spock who promoted, <laughs> I, I, can't, I think that's his name, I'm not really sure. But he promoted mothers to not breastfeed. And so a certain percentage of that generation are the non-breastfeeding children who don't trust. They bred the same and the same. So you, don't you believe that there's probably a certain percentage of each of those continuing generations that are born, or I would say not born, but have developed no trust because they didn't have that bond with their mom? It's a good, a good observation, and I don't know how, what, how much it would affect them, but if, if, this is what I know. If you do it God's way, things kind of work out better. But if you don't, where, where was that chemical at then? What's it called? The oxytocin? Is it oxytocin? Yes. Ox, ox, oxytocin? Okay. Um, so if you didn't have the oxytocin going on, then where did you get that chemical? If you were deprived of the oxytocin that God created, um, maybe that would affect you to some level. I don't know what to degree, but you have to imagine if we don't do God's things do things God's way, it does affect us to some degree. Where am I at? Yes, ma'am. Pastor Brandon, uh, talking about what the doctor had confirmed regarding uh, mistrusting people that have been abused yes. as a child, one of the things that, correct me if I'm wrong, that one of the things, not only is it difficult for them to deal with the situation, most of the time, if it's young, uh, they don't open up. Okay? Yes. And the perpetrator usually threatens them, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And then, and this is my point, why I'm saying what I'm saying, and you bringing out everything that you brought tonight, is that we have to take in consideration, not only is a child or the victim is being tormented by the experience, uh, they live with it every single day, but also in the supernatural realm, yeah. There are doors that are open, and those also need to be dealt with. Amen. Uh, and, you know, th I'm, I'm glad you stated that because um, when you see sexual abuse, molestation, rape at that early age, 
what you will see accompanied with it is demonic activity as a foothold into the person's life. So it's like a double whammy that happens to them. They get the, they get the uh, trauma, but then that foothold gets in there and they start being harassed demonically as well. And so it stays with them. And quite frankly, you know, I've talked to people that struggle in these areas. And if I drill down deep enough, they're having demonic activity too. It's there. And I'm telling you, you know, when we, when we look at this next, next hour, we're going to take a break here, and I'll, I'll get any questions you guys got. But when we look at it next hour, you, you will not be able to avert your eyes from seeing the demonic behind the whole LGBT movement, the transgender. There's no doubt in my mind they are doing that to us for a reason, as humanity is concerned. So it, it usually accompanies it, and you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Where am I at? Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I have a couple things to say. And I do have, um, or in the past, have had friends or acquaintances that are gay. And I asked if they minded if I asked them some questions. And one of them was how old they were when they realized they were gay. Mm -hmm. Some of them as young as three and four mostly. And most of them had been sexually abused. Yeah. And the um, the trust and the betrayal, a lot of sexually abused people, me as one of them as a child, my hurt, betrayal, and rejection was telling my mother that my brother was doing that to me yeah. and that she did nothing to protect me all those years, and so I was angrier at her sure. than at him, and it took me 70 times 70 times 70 to forgive her until the day before she died, and I honestly felt like I had finally forgiven her, but that caused trust in me even sure. to this day. Sure. Yeah, and, 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 you know, you were so young, and that happens. And, and so here's the authority that God has put over you, and you can't trust the authority to protect you. And, and thank God you're, you're, you've believed in Christ now, but most people would transfer that and would say, well, if my mom didn't protect me, and this is the mom God gave me, then how do I trust him? Because he didn't protect me. And you can see how easy people can transfer that. And then they get very angry at God. Good. Yeah. Wow. There you go. That's classic. That's what. That's what's happening. It breaks the trust. Absolutely, it's hard to get back. Yeah. Why does why does that open the child up to demonic activity when they don't have any part of it or anything? No. Excellent point. And because this this is one this one bothers me too, because when we start seeing demonic activity happen in children, we're like, dude, that's not even fair. But it does. So when I've looked at this, 
and I see the demonic activity tied to sexual uh, activity or whatever, the only thing I can say is because it happens, it apparently opens them uh, some type of legal precedence in the spiritual realm to harass the child. I don't know how it works. I just know what I see. And if I see this and I see it repeatedly, then, then, then I can come out with a deduction of saying it must open the door and give them permission to harass the child. And I, and I don't know all of that works, how that works. I'll give you another example, just not even in the sexual arena. If a child is in a home with like a mom or a dad that's involved in the occult, eventually the demons will go after the child as well. And you're like, well, that doesn't seem fair. But in the spiritual realm, they're saying we have the spiritual right. If the mom or dad, the authority is doing it, it opens the child up to this activity. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm very troubled by it. I, I, and I don't know how to explain it other than this is what we see on the ground with demonic activity, and somehow they have permission to do it to the children. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, and I think it's the devil's world, obviously, and, and you know, there's, there's another, one of the things you learn when you study demonology and Satanology is that there's another set of spiritual rules in their realm that they play by, and most Christians don't know what those rules are, that's why they get into a mess, but sexual activity, let me put it this way, sorry, rephrase that. Illicit sexual activity tends to open that door. Even in heterosexual relationships, uh, like fornication or adultery can open that door as well. So then I go back to this reality. And what is God saying about sex? Sex is between a man and a woman in the bonds of marriage. So in the spiritual realm when I start seeing the demonic activity happening with adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, I come to the conclusion theologically that illicit sexual activity can open the door to demonic activity. Can. Not always, but can. And that's all I can see because it's happening. And that's all I can report to you so when he says, don't have sex except in the bonds of marriage, there's another thing you have to think about in the demonic realm and what that opens the person up to. So it's like, let me give you another example. Maybe this will help. Not everybody that plays with a Ouija board starts having demonic activity. But the likelihood that you will is pretty good. Okay, so there's people that played with a Ouija board when they were little or whatever, and they didn't know what they're doing, and nothing really happened. Then I know plenty of plenty of people that played with the Ouija board, and they had all kinds of demonic activity that followed them all through life because they opened themselves up. So what we're saying is it's not all the time, but it can do it. That's why, okay, so would you take a chance then? You get what I'm saying? So... When someone's having sexual, uh, a sexual experience that is illicit, 
you're taking a chance of opening it up to the demonic, if that makes sense. And for some reason, it's there. Now, look, I, I mean, you can go into pornography, and sometimes the guy, okay, guys are watching pornography, and they're addicted, and nothing spiritually is happening to them. There are, as far as they're, what they're doing is wrong. But I don't see any demonic activity. But then there are people that get into pornography, and there is demonic activity. So it can lead to that. So I, I don't know all the rules in their realm, but when I see it and I see that they have permission to do it, then that's what I, all I can say to you guys is you don't want to be involved in that. You, and, and look, man, there's been people that come to us and there's demonic activity, full-fledged, full throttle demonic activity happening and now it's starting to happen to the kid and our advice is you need to get out of that house immediately and they're like why is this all happening and then you find out there's a witch living in the house okay and you're like well you need to get out of the house i can't leave so well then i'm sorry then the the demonic activity is not going to stop with you and now you're telling me it's happening to your child well as long as you stay there, it's going to continue to happen to your child. So get the child out of the house and get yourself out of the house. And that's our advice to them. But what happens? I can't move out. I can't do that. Well, then fine. Then the demonic activity is going to continue to happen to your child. You want that to keep happening. It's crazy, right? Crazy. I've This weird stuff. Where am I at? There you are. So I was wondering how or what can we do? To how do we pray and what can we do to the, to our loved ones to help break this yeah. chain that's oppressing yeah. them? You have to find the entry point. Okay, so w- when you read um, Ephesians four twenty seven, it talks about God, uh, Satan getting a foothold in someone's life or a beachhead. It can be translated a beachhead. It's like the Normandy beach when we're storming uh, France. We go to Normandy. It's a beachhead from which to operate, okay? So what you do is when you talk to the person, you, your job is to counsel them in such a way as I'm trying to find where the entry point is. And so this is what I would ask them. When did this start happening to you? So like we talked about somebody, when did you feel that you were gay? When did you feel you were a lesbian? And I want to go back to the entry point, and you will find the entry point. It's there. Sometimes they can't remember the entry point. So you know what you do? Pray. Lord, reveal the entry point to this person and myself. Now, he will do it if the person wants to know. He will reveal it. But if they don't want to know, he's not going to reveal it. They have to want to know where that entry point is. And once they find the entry point, that's where it has to, you have to attack the entry point. You have to go after that area. Yeah, go ahead. We've got a mic over on this side of the room. Hold on one second. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Spontaneous. We have a two mics working tonight or just one? We got just Dennis running the floor? Dennis is on. Okay, go for it. I actually became so filled with hatred from the hurt and the rejection that I had felt from so many people that I was filled with the hate, anger that I literally felt one night laying in bed. The room got dark, 
and I could feel the demons literally, and I knew they were there to take me to the other side. It reminded me of that movie, Ghost, and those demons came out of the ground. That is the same feeling I had in that room. And I was so scared, and I just in my mind yelled out, please, God, I'm sorry. Don't let me go. Amen. And I had a change from that day on. But it's the hate. That's the opening. Yeah. Hate and anger that them demons are just waiting for. They're always fighting for us. Amen. So what I say is all the time is I've been in places that are haunted and other experience. But I always say I rebuke you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Leave. Amen. Good job. I don't, why are we having that ring in, Bruce? It's, it, we're in the, hold the mic closer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's get to Dr. Mensink real quick. Yes, yeah, so if I could interject, it's okay. me, Pastor. If we could get the mic nice and close to the mouth uh, and you, speak Bruce. up a little bit, it would help me out tremendously. Thank there you. There you go. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay, I'll try to t- speak real loud. Uh, many years ago, I had the opportunity in Africa to preach in a church in the town where voodoo started. Oh, really? Where voodoo started? And it was a very interesting experience. In fact, you drove into town. It was like a sense over you. You could feel a presence, okay? The church, they had a little church there, all right, in this town. The church had to move the church. The church, it was was like a, (laughs) it wasn't a church really. It was like a little tent kind of thing. Yeah. Out of town to not be under that influence. Really? Yeah. So there was a we demonic stronghold yeah. there. And we don't realize how powerful this, these wicked things are. Yeah, amen. No, the, the stronghold thing is legitimate, man. You can walk into areas and you can feel something's not right here. It kind of makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. If you're in their presence, you're, if my, ne- my neck hair, I always, it like pokes up. It's weird, man. But I know there's a demonic presence somewhere. Okay, I had other questions. We all cool? Got one more over there with Stuart, and then last, and then we got to take a break, guys. So I was watching this video, and this, these pastors are saying that to to release people from demons, they've got to want it. Number one, and it's only on people. It's not territories because they have their territories and you can't rebuke them or you know tell them that this isn't their area because in their experience that these that the people would actually start having a lot more problems divorces fighting breaking up of families when they were doing that over the territories but if it was, if it's people on a one-to-one basis to preach the gospel to them and they want it and they want to be released, then that would work. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I do, we do know there's territorial spirits because of, of Daniel chapter 10, Prince of Greece, then he says, I, or Prince of Persia, and then I'm going to pr- Prince of uh, uh, Greece. He's going to fight later. So we do know there's territorial spirits that have dominion over certain areas demonically. Um, yeah, so with that being said, um, we're going to pick up this next week on the area of faith. 
and uh, we'll talk about more of how if your trust is broken and it's affecting your trust with God, how do we fix that? Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.